2: Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this afternoon. My name is Lydia Cruz.
3: And I'm Justin Stiefel.
4: And I'm Maura Dooley.
2: How are you guys doing? How has your April been going so far?
3: April's been a little wet.
2: Yes. (laughs) Lots of rain showers, hopefully uh, bringing May flowers here pretty soon.
3: Yes, on the news this week where we are now more than four times our average for rainfall in the month of April.
4: Ooh, man. Well, and Lydia and I were at the Mariners game on Saturday, and I can tell you it felt like we got most of that
0: all Saturday evening. all in
2: one day. (laughs) Torrential rain out there. Luckily, we have the closed roof because around baseball in general this time of year, there have been so many already delayed or canceled games in baseball. It's pretty impressive. Lucky for us, we got that Safeco Field closed roof, so we can enjoy our our brown sugar bourbon with a closed roof.
3: (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate that.
2: What else is going on, Justin?
3: Well, let's see. Uh, we've talked in the past about our Special Forces bourbon, and uh, we do special bottling runs once a year. We raise money for the Special Forces Foundation at Joint Base Lewis-McChord, and this month we launched the fourth bottling run. Wow. So we have bottles for sale in our tasting room, in Gig Harbor and Roslyn, and available online for order. And we had quite a few people take advantage of our February and March pre-order and now they're ready for pickup and delivery. And $25 a bottle goes to the Special Forces Foundation and they use that for college scholarships and for uh, the Gold Star Kids program. Uh, Gold Star Kids are kids whose parents died in the line of service and uh, this goes to support the family and the spouse and uh, also for the general foundation for the Wounded Warriors portion uh, that is locally administered at JBLM. So it's a big deal. The last three years we've raised $80,000. Wow. And uh, donated all that. And this year we are hoping to raise this year another 25000 or so.
2: Really cool. Speaking of that Mariners game, it was Armed Forces night. And so speaking of the the Wounded Warrior project was there, the gold star families did the uh the flag during the national anthem unrolled the flag so it was uh it was cool to see all those people honored and it is such an important cause
3: and it was cool to see at the national anthem portion of the pregame bringing out members of the armed forces
2: absolutely putting
3: them along the first and third baseline in between the players
2: yeah really cool seemed like it was a
3: powerful photo the
2: baseball uh The baseball teams enjoyed that just as much as as the uh, armed services members.
3: Yeah, I think it sends the right message to the community that baseball is the All-American pastime and uh, people go there for a relaxing, enjoyable family type outing. And uh, I think they're showing the proper respect that is due to folks in the armed services and we appreciate that.
4: Yeah, 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 very much so. Appreciate everything you're doing with Special Forces Bourbon too, it's amazing.
3: So if people oh. are interested, they can go to our tasting rooms or they can go to HeritageDistilling.com and look for the Special Forces bourbon.
2: Perfect. In the meantime, what else is going on in the news this week?
3: Well, if you were in Italy a few weeks ago <laughs> and you were getting done with your ski run, uh, you may have run into this drunk wanderer. <laughs> and uh, he was in his 20s. Uh, his name is Pavel. And he was in the ski resort town of Cervinia, and he was slightly intoxicated. And according to this French article, he took a wrong turn, climbed up the ski slope
2: Oof.
3: sometime between 2 and 3 in the morning. Oh, no. Because he spotted the silhouette of a building on the horizon. He thought that was it was his hotel.
2: Naturally. Just...
3: And so he kept <laughs> climbing up 2,400 meters, which is a, almost 8,000 feet in elevation. That's a hike. Yeah, <laughs> It's a long hike.
4: That is an impressive drunk. drunk feat, I have to admit.
3: <laughs> at night, yes. Good for him. He uh, used his ho- hotel key. He managed to get inside. Turns out it was a bar for the resort. And when they found him passed out at 8.30 in the morning, uh, he had consumed two bottles of water.
2: Oh, staying hydrated at least. Good. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He now, gets things so done cheers, when he's cheers drunk. Cheers to yeah. Now... <laughs> Isn't Distiller Dane on his honeymoon in Italy? Are we sure that this isn't just him going by a you know pseudonym?
3: Oh, that's an excellent question. Right?
2: We've got to check I, I on him. Have
3: to, uh, I'll have to dial him up on WeChat.
2: Okay. <laughs> what else is going on this week?
3: Well, if you've been watching, the news our uh, spat back and forth between the White House and China on trade and tariffs and import duties and taxes. China has retaliated, threatening a 25% tariff on American bourbon. And the folks in Kentucky are rightly upset about this. Mm -hmm. The tariffs on American spirits going into China are high already anyway, and it makes American-made products very expensive. So to put another 25% tariff on top of that makes American bourbon and whiskey even more expensive and puts it out of reach of the world's largest Market Right now we're talking about 23 million cases of whiskey sold in the US and they're hoping to see that matched in China in the next few years but it's uh, very difficult the 25% extra tariff on top.
2: This might be a dumb question but how do they come to decide on different tariffs for different spirits.
3: Well they have what's called a harmonized tariff schedule. The WTO does. And if you look this up, the HTS, it has thousands and thousands and thousands of things, everything you can think of from wire to stainless steel, to tanks, to wow. paper cups. Everything that is sold or made in the world has something on the schedule. And these countries pick and choose based on the political pressure that they think will be applied in their home country to stop uh, a retaliatory action from taking place. And uh, in the case of the U.S., the Senate Majority Leader
2: mm-hmm.
3: hails from what state?
2: Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs>
3: <laughs> His name is Mitch McConnell. He comes from Kentucky. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> the Kentucky. home of bourbon. There it okay. is. So if you're in China and you say, how do we want to apply political pressure to the White House, what better way than to go to the Majority Leader? of the same party of the president who's throwing American tariffs against Chinese imports and say, we're going to cause pain for you in your hometown unless you get your own president in line. And the way we're going to do that is by putting this tariff on bourbon. Wow. There you go.
2: Speaking of uh, spirits internationally, what's going on with soju? We've talked about this before.
3: We talked about soju during the Winter Olympics in South Korea. And uh, news came out about a new type of soju that was going to have wasps in the bottles and to create kind of a tonic Mm -hmm. that has perceived health benefits. But now, as always happens, somebody has come out and said, well, don't drink this if you are allergic to bee venom. And that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I would hope so, which is a fair amount of people.
4: Common allergy, yeah. Yeah.
3: Common allergy and, uh, you know, deadly. Some people who are allergic to bee venom. Or wasp venom takes literally seconds before they're um, going to shock and they have uh, you know, anaphylactic shock or their throat will close up or they have hives so if you see a bee or a wasp in your favorite bottle of korean soju and you're allergic <laughs> to bees don't drink it
2: yeah avoid please <laughs> yeah coming up on cast club radio over the last couple of decades this has grown from a small grassroots event to one of the most notable festivals in the pacific northwest It's the Skagit Valley Tulip Festival. There's only a few more opportunities to get out there and experience it. I know you want some good photos for your Instagram, for your social media, and this is the place to get them. Not to mention, experience lots of great food, lots of great events. We'll talk to Cindy Verge, Executive Director of the Skagit Valley Tulip Festival, next on Cass Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now, we are joined by our friend, Cindy Verge. She's the executive director of the Skagit Valley Tulip Festival, something that's been going on for 35 years. Cindy, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. My pleasure. What can you tell someone who has never been to the Tulip Festival? How would you describe it to them?
1: Well, it's... Glorious beauty,
4: mm-hmm. whether
1: it's raining, whether it's sunshine, uh, cloudy, you walk out in a 10, 20-acre field of tulips, and there's just this feeling of beauty and peace. It, it sounds corny, but it's really there, and it's, the tulips blooming are a thing of beauty, and it's just something that everybody should come and enjoy.
2: And it's only this moment in time, right? This very special moment of time where people can see, see these, uh, t- this amount of tulips in bloom. Correct. Well,
1: tulips are a springtime flower. And so there's something that's only here for a very short period of time. And the tulips of Skagit Valley are the crops of Washington Bulb Company. So you have 350 acres of tulips that are farmers growing. And once they start blooming, they're usually here for about three weeks. And then we have two gorgeous gardens. One's called Rusengarda, and it's a five-acre garden where they plant about a half a million bulbs in gorgeous flower beds. Wow. It looks like something a king or a queen would have in their backyard. And Tulip Town is the other garden, and it's what Tulip Town does is they build a town. And it's open one month a year. And you go in, and it's whole indoor display with beautiful flower bouquets, a hand-painted mural. Then you go outside, and they have about um, seven acres of tulips planted in rainbow stripes of color. So and pretty, it's just glorious. And you can walk all around that.
2: We'll talk a little bit about the cool events that you have have got going on throughout this month. But how many people? have either per year or in the past you know of that have been a part of Tulip Festival because now it has been around for 35 years.
1: It has been. And and when it first started, it it was this little teeny event that lasted one weekend and we had things like a dollhouse exhibit and a bowling tournament. (laughs) And now we have 40 different events and activities, um, running the gamut from a parade to a tulip pedal bike ride, to Packard's open house, to a quilt show, a street fair, um, so we've really expanded the offerings, making them last the entire month of April wow. so that we can um, have people enjoy something whenever they come up and whenever the tulips are blooming. It's really fun for folks. What is this done for the local community there? Well, we estimate that um, it's about a $20 million shot in the arm every April.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: Um, All of our communities experience a double-digit increase in in sales tax revenue, and we took a survey this past year with our local um, charitable organizations that participate in the festival, and we got responses from about two-thirds of them, and they indicate that they are earning over $200,000 netting, over $200,000 a year. Wow. And, and this those dollars come back to our community. So it, it, it really is something that's very valuable to our community. We usually get about 350,000 people that come here. Um, last year, um, we have a map in our office, and we have about twelve to 15,000 people that come through our doors. And that map, we said, where do you live? <laughs> last year, we had people from 96 countries.
2: Oh, my goodness. All 50
1: U.S. states. Oh. And it's really cool. Um, folks, it, it sounds sometimes like the United Nations with the different languages that will be up here in our office.
4: So it is much more than just a local draw. I know that that actually means on the weekends it can get kind of hectic. You, you guys have some traffic tips up on your website for people that are thinking of heading out there, right?
1: We do, and we've even got a video that folks can access. And, and it's just important because we want you to come and see the flowers and enjoy the events and not and spend as little time in traffic as possible. And by um, following some of those tips, um, there's a back way through the Conway exit, taking Highway 20. Um, all of those will help folks navigate where they want to be.
2: For someone who might be a first-timer, Maura and I have yet to be up there which is a crime, but we're going to get there this year. We really want to. Good. What is Good. the first thing or something that we need to check off, check off on our list when it comes to all of these diff- great events that you have?
1: Well, if I were coming up here for the first time, I would work to get up to Skagit County by 9 a.m. Okay. And then I would choose one of the gardens, whether it's a very formal Ruse Garden with the gorgeous flower beds or whether it's the rainbow stripes of color at Tulip Town. I would go through one of the gardens, then I'd pick a spot for lunch. Maybe it's a Kwanis salmon barbecue or a restaurant. And then I would do um, go out in some tulip fields in the afternoon because you can walk through those multi-acre fields and then take in the other garden at the end of the day. Because if you're going to come, you might as well see all the tulips you can see. If you're staying for two days... I would add in, um, we have art shows there 's farms to visit there's wineries and breweries to visit um, we We have enough stuff to keep people here for two or three days.
4: Wow, you, we were talking off air before we got started Cindy there there are some really fun events going on throughout this as well too. Can you tell us about those well
1: we we put on a number of events just ourselves with the tulip festival, and one of the great events that we have is um, for the young crowd, and it's the two- to eight-year-olds. And this year we're featuring Tinkerbell in our fairy Uh party. And it is just delightful to see the kids. They usually come dressed up in in whatever uh, princess or fairy that we're featuring. And um, this year the kids will be able to make a fairy garden. And we wanted to do that because teaching kids about plants and growing things is real important to us. And we like to have it at the end of April because it's the kind of event that people like to come to, even if the tulips aren't in full bloom at
2: that point. That sounds perfect. So how can people get, do they need tickets to that? How do they find those?
1: They do need tickets, so um, they can go on to Eventbrite and search for the Tulip Charm Fairy Party at the Skagit Valley Tulip Festival, or we have lots of links on our website, which is tulipfestival.org, and either one of those is a way for folks to to get the tickets.
2: Well, perfect. Maura and I will have to get up there, and we're going to take plenty of pictures, because I know you guys also have a great photo contest.
1: Right. When when, when uh, you take those pictures, enter them into the photo contest, we um, ask for people to do that because we love sharing the photos. We, yes. we give out prizes. You get a signed poster for each one of the four categories. And then we have a whole library of pictures that we can use the following year uh, to help us publicize the event um, because there's nothing that says tulips better than photos that are taken by tulip fans.
2: <laughs> that is so great, Cindy. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and and tell and us about... come up and see the tulips. Absolutely. And we'll come say hi. We'll come drop by and say hi. Great. Coming up on Cass Club Radio, the only thing better than a great slice of pie it would be a cocktail a pie themed cocktail to go with it and let me tell you what you can have your pie and drink it too next on cast club radio we'll talk to patrick lewis owner of pie bar here in seattle that's next on cast club radio Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now, we are joined by our friend, Cindy Verge. She's the executive director of the Skagit Valley Tulip Festival, something that's been going on for 35 years. Cindy, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. My pleasure. What can you tell someone who has never been to the Tulip Festival? How would you describe it to them?
1: Well, it's... Glorious beauty, whether it's raining, whether it's sunshine, uh, cloudy, you walk out in a 10, 20-acre field of tulips, and there's just this feeling of beauty and peace. It, it sounds corny, but it's really there,
2: and it's, the tulips blooming are a thing of beauty, and it's just something that everybody should come and enjoy. And it's only this moment in time, right? This very special moment of time where people can see, see these, uh, t- this amount of tulips in bloom.
1: Correct. Well, tulips are a springtime flower. And so there's something that's only here for a very short period of time. And the tulips of Skagit Valley are the crops of Washington Bulb Company. So you have 350 acres of tulips that a farmer's growing. And once they start blooming, they're usually here for about three weeks And then we have two gorgeous gardens. One's called Rusengarda, and it's a five-acre garden where they plant about a half a million bulbs in gorgeous flower beds. Wow. It looks like something a king or a queen would have in their backyard. And Tulip Town is the other garden, and it's what Tulip Town does is they build a town. And it's open one month a year. And you go in, and it's whole indoor display with beautiful flower bouquets, a hand painted mural. Then you go outside, and they have about um, seven acres of tulips planted in rainbow stripes of color. So and pretty, it's just glorious. And you can walk all around yeah.
2: We'll talk a little bit about the cool events that you have have got going on throughout this month. But how many people have ex- either? per year or in the past you know of that have been a part of Tulip Festival because now it has been around for 35 years
1: it has been and and when it first started it it was this little teeny event that lasted one weekend and we had things like a dollhouse exhibit and a bowling tournament and now we have 40 different events and activities um, running the gamut from a parade to a tulip pedal bike ride to Packard's open house to a quilt show a street fair um, so we've really expanded the offerings, making them last the entire month of April wow. so that we can um, have people enjoy something whenever they come up and whenever the tulips are blooming. It's really fun for folks.
2: What is done for
1: the local community there? Well, we estimate that um, it's about a $20 million shot in the arm every April.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: Um, All of our communities experience a double-digit increase in in sales tax revenue, and we took a survey this past year with our local um, charitable organizations that participate in the festival, and we got responses from about two-thirds of them, and they indicate that they are earning over $200,000 netting, over $200,000 a year.
4: Wow. And, and this those
1: dollars come back to our community. So it, it, it really is something that's very valuable to our community. We usually get about 350,000 people that come here. Um, last year, um, we have a map in our office, and we have about twelve to 15,000 people that come through our doors. And that map, we said, where do you live? <laughs> last year, we had people from 96 countries.
2: Oh, my goodness. All 50
1: U.S. states.
2: Oh. And it's
1: really cool. Um, folks, it, it sounds sometimes like the United Nations with the different languages that will be up here in our office.
4: So it is much more than just a local draw. I know that that actually means on the weekends it can get kind of hectic. You you guys have some traffic tips up on your website for people that are thinking of heading out there, right?
1: We do, and we've even got a video that folks can access. And, and it's just important because we want you to come and see the flowers and enjoy the events and not and spend as little time in traffic as possible. And by um, following some of those tips, um, there's a back way through the Conway exit, taking Highway 20. Um, all of those will help folks navigate where they want to be.
2: For someone who might be a first-timer, Maura and I have yet to be up there which is a crime, but we're going to get there this year. We really want to. Good. What is Good. the first thing or something that we need to check off, check off on our list when it comes to all of these diff- great events that you have?
1: Well, if I were coming up here for the first time, I would work to get up to Skagit County by 9 a.m., Okay. And then I would choose one of the gardens, whether it's a very formal Rosengarter with the gorgeous flower beds, or whether it's the rainbow stripes of color at Tulip Town. I would go through one of the gardens, then I'd pick a spot for lunch. Uh-huh. Maybe it's the Kwana Salmon Barbecue or a restaurant. And then I would do um, go out in some tulip fields in the afternoon. And Because you can walk through those multi-acre fields and then take in the other garden at the end of the day. Because if you're going to come, you might as well see all the tulips you can see. If you're staying for two days, I would add in um, we have art shows. There's farms to visit. There's wineries and breweries to visit. Um, we, we have enough stuff to keep people here for two or three days.
4: Wow we were talking off air before we got started, Cindy. There there are some really fun events going on throughout this as well too. Can you tell us about those?
1: Well we we put on a number of events just ourselves with the Tulip Festival and one of the great events that we have is um, for the young crowd and it's the two to eight year olds and this year we're featuring Tinkerbell in our fairy uh-huh. party. And it is just delightful to see the kids. They usually come dressed up in in whatever uh, princess or fairy that we're featuring. And um, this year the kids will be able to make a fairy garden. And we wanted to do that because teaching kids about plants and growing things is real important to us. And we like to have it at the end of April because it's the kind of event that people like to come to even if the tulips aren't in full bloom at that point.
2: That sounds perfect. So how can people get do they need tickets to that? How do they find those?
1: They do need tickets. So um, they can go on to Eventbrite and search for the Tulip Charm Fairy Party at the Skagit Valley Tulip Festival. Or we have lots of links on our website, which is tulipfestival org. And either one of those is a way for folks to, to get the tickets.
2: Well perfect. more and I will have to get up there and we're going to take plenty of pictures because I know you guys and also then... have a great Photo contest,
1: right? When 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 uh, you take those pictures, enter them into the photo contest. We. Um Ask for people to do that because we love sharing the photos. We, yeah. we give out prizes. You get a signed poster for each one of the four categories, and then we have a whole library of pictures that we can use the following year uh, to help us publicize the event. Um, because there's nothing that says tulips better than photos that are taken by tulip fans.
2: <laughs> that is so great, Cindy. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and. And tell us about come up and see the tulips. Absolutely. We'll come say hi. We'll come drop by and say hi. Great. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, the only thing better than a great slice of pie. It'll be a cocktail, a pie-themed cocktail, to go with it. And let me tell you what, you can have your pie and drink it too. Next on Cast Club Radio, we'll talk to Patrick Lewis, owner of Pie Bar here in Seattle. That's next on Cast Club
4: Radio. back to Cast Club Radio. My name is Maura Dooley and I am sitting here with the owner of Pie Bar in Capitol Hill, Patrick Lewis. How are you today, Patrick?
5: I'm very good. How are you?
4: Good. Thank you for coming in. I am so excited that you are here because we are not only big fans of yummy desserts like you have there, but obviously any place that serves cocktails with desserts mm-hmm. is, is very high on my list.
5: And so, pies, right? I, the yes. pies thing. Yes. Mm.
4: So can you tell us how you came up with the idea behind Pie Bar?
5: Yeah, it was 10 years ago, and uh, I was a builder. It was 2008. It was a a fun time with banks and insurance companies, and I had a lot of houses, and um, those nice, fun banks would start calling me because they just stopped selling, and I decided I, I really wanted to do a restaurant, and after the, the building industry collapsed, I met a girl that used to make these amazing pies, and I had one for Thanksgiving, and I tasted it. And the first time I tasted it, I said, i got to sell these to the world. They're amazing. <laughs> it was so good. The first one I tasted. So she taught me how to make the pies, and uh, pretty soon we opened up a restaurant in Magnolia. And I think it was about three years after that, we decided we wanted to kick it up a notch. And uh, we weren't sure what we're going to do. Well, I, I really figured I wanted a little bit more because we, we were just making a lot of pies. And in that, it's kind of a break-in thing. They're, they're so labor-intensive. Each one's handmade. We wanted something to go along with it and compliment it. We weren't sure what. And we found this spot through a developer friend that we used to have through that uh, building time. And I showed us a spot in Capitol Hill, and it was in the shape of a piece of pie, and I lost my mind. I started building it without any concept, any idea, and I noticed when I was building it that uh, uh, we were just going to open up a daytime pie shop. At that point, I just realized that the night came alive there, and I just, in my mind, I went, oh, alcohol and pies. Are you kidding (laughs) me? What? And then I looked, and nobody's done it. I mean, what since Prohibition and those amazing pies that just started really being created in the 40s and the 50s, and the, never at one point in that that time had they married until until you came up until with the yeah idea. until I put them together, I matched them. There is a love now, <laughs> that's but yeah, awesome. it's that's kind of how it started. I just I saw everything come alive at night as I was building it because most of the time I, I build at night. I'm kind of a night owl anyway. Just worked. Everything flowed.
4: So you put your building experience to work in putting together the Capitol Hill. Yeah,
5: all that experience of like, who do I call for permits? How am I gonna build this? You know, how is it? How how is the kitchen gonna fit? Uh, How is the customers gonna feel? It made it look like it's really a house party inside my kitchen when you go in there. If I (laughs) if I had a giant kitchen like that, you know, you come in and it's like everybody somehow from outside and the living room have congregated in the kitchen and they're seeing me do my thing while we're having like a house party in there. That's that's the feel. That's really what I wanted.
4: I love that. And then on top of the fact that you can sit down and eat in the restaurant, you guys have a walk-up window where you can get to-go pie as <laughs> yeah, well, Yeah,
5: right? the first idea in that was that we weren't sure if we're going to be only 21 because as we're going through the permit process, they weren't going to allow it. Well, they did. Only half of it was 21, but the idea was everybody could get the pies. So if you weren't 21, at least you can go to the walk-up window. And I'm glad I did it anyway for that purpose because now it's, it's half the business with the Postmates and the Uber. Breats and everybody, you know, just call and there'll be a giant line down the road. But a lot of it will be orders that are put in from people that just can't come down, you know, and then it catches everybody else when we're so busy inside. Instead of like having to wait forever, they can go to the line and go somewhere else with the pie. But yeah, it really works.
4: I definitely envision myself being one of the customers in that line here very soon. Which pie should I try first?
5: Well, my favorite pie is the peanut butter chocolate just because um, its I don't know anybody else that really makes it. I've heard in the Midwest, that's how I got the idea for the pie, that they make this peanut butter pie. And I, I tested around some different recipes and I came up with one that works. And it's, it's the second best seller, the number one seller is Deserted Island. And that was a pie that the ex-wife and I, when we owned it together in Magnolia, we created together, brand new recipe, put everything together in layers. It starts out with, blackberries on the bottom, raspberries in the middle, strawberries on the second half of the middle, I guess, but it's apples across the top. And it's all in layers, all with different pie sugars. I call them pie sugars because it's different mixtures of flour, sugar, to cinnamon, because uh, we, we don't use any fillers in our pie. So every fruit has its level of sugar in it that will break down in the heat. So it on more flour more sugar per the fruit but it's pretty complicated and like I told you it's labor intensive to make a pie but
4: but homemade handmade delicious every
5: day consistent every day you know it's it's really become something great
4: that's amazing what is it about desserts that you like to pair with cocktails
5: well, you know, that was a thing, too. When I was first in the neighborhood, I wasn't quietly, warmly invited. There was a lot of people that stopped by, especially bar owners, like, are you out of your mind? You're putting alcohol and sugar together? And I'm like, what are you? just wait. You can stand in line. Just just. <laughs> Just just wait a little bit. Watch. Because, I, you know, I have, I'm a, I have, kind of an artsy guy, and I had this idea, and I can see it, the idea and a concept of a three-dimensional thing, not more of a building thing. But um, I, I just saw it. I saw, like, what would happen as soon as I put them together, and, and it has been nuts. You know, it's been crazy putting them together. But the, my biggest ones is, like, I've created... Have you heard of a Moscow mule before?
4: One of oh, my favorites.
5: Yeah. Well, I created one that's called an apple pie mule with moonshine, and an... Um, infused apple taste into it and it pairs perfect with the apple pie it's it's just the because you wash it down with a little bit of that ginger and it has that moonshine in it with the apple pie it's it's unstoppable it's bite after drink after bite but other ones like um the strawberry rhubarb pairs really good with the uh, key lime pietini and pietinis are martinis that on the top of the rim has our pie crust actually the top crumb part that's you know that's really edible it's so good and then i put different Just different alcohols in some of them. Some of them like Liquor 43 and whiskeys with uh, different fruit juices and stuff, but it makes them taste just like the pie. So when you're drinking it through that crust at the top, it's, it's definitely a pie with some bite.
4: That sounds amazing. Did you have bartending experience or a bar background?
5: No, I didn't. I had none. When I first when I first built it, I was really just the builder. I was new to the industry. I, I had worked a few years in that uh, place in Magnolia that we built first, which was Seattle Pie Company, but that was my only restaurant experience, and I was 44 at the time. But after I built the bar one, again, it was just this last minute idea. Oh, Jesus, an epiphany came to me. I'm gonna do this, but I no bar experience. So the little bit of time that we went through before I learned, we went through some different bartenders and nobody ever really got the niche. And every time they came in and bartended, it was like they bring their drinks and their ideas. But I had kind of a concept, you know, that would work. And eventually, I just went, You know, what? I gotta learn how to do this. <laughs> so, what does a man do nowadays? What does a person do? You know, what, I didn't know what to do. And I went, Ah, oh, YouTube, I'm gonna YouTube oh, I this. It. I remember I fixed like a boat <laughs> prop <laughs> watching a YouTube video. And I go, I'm pretty sure the guy Oh man, I found this guy in New Orleans that was doing a YouTube thing is from one of the original New Orleans bars, I think it was close to the Sazerac bar or something like that, but it was just down the street from it. And it, I watched his videos and I, I got, I had some pretty tipsy nights perfecting it for what he did. But yeah, I got that old fashioned and Manhattans and Sazerac down. And after that, it was just, I had the base of what I can do, the right way to do it with the proper steps, you know, none, none of the new ways to make it. It was all started like the old, the old fashioned, old, old fashioned way. And from there, I I just built a talent on making new drinks and having a lot of great distributors come to me and tell me about the new stuff and making new cocktails with them. And yeah, here I am. I I guess I'm a I guess I'm a bartender now. <laughs>
4: it's amazing you can learn anything on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, a little I was,
5: hard work. You got to put that hard work
4: in there. Yes. <laughs> I was I was looking at the cocktail menu, and it's definitely not just you know a few drinks to complement the pies. It's a large cocktail menu. So yeah, it is. You've definitely applied is. your teachings there, and I and I think what you mentioned about the distributors makes a lot of sense. There's there's a, a wealth of local distilleries and breweries and wineries here and just lots of people that you can learn from.
5: Oh, absolutely. They're a resource, you know, and they come, they want to help. Not not only do they want to sell you what they got, but they sometimes, you know, they help and they know that they don't carry that or what you need and the other distributor does. But they're there to help. They help out a lot. It's a wealth of information.
4: You have savory pies there as well, don't you? Yeah,
5: we go through, we have our basics. We have our steak and our chicken, but we do fun ones like summer. We got a fajita pie and Christmas Thanksgiving time, we do a uh, turkey and cranberry pie. But yeah, we do a lot of sabers. Yeah. Comes with a big salad when you're inside. Again, a lot of it goes out the walk-up window too.
4: Well, I have to ask you about, we have another guest in the studio that I almost forgot to mention. Your adorable dog, Buddy Elf.
5: The pie bar unofficial mascot. He doesn't bartend or bake, Buddy Elf. He he goes everywhere with me. I love my little doggy.
4: We are going to have to put a picture up on the heritage <laughs> Instagram because he has the best coat and boots on. It's amazing.
5: Yeah, he's Colonel Buddy right now. He thinks he can fly. He's got his little like um, airman outfit on. His boots. He's all saddled up.
4: He's adorable. (laughs) Thanks. Can you tell everyone where they can find Pie Bar online?
5: Online is at uh, piebarcapitolhill.com. I think the Instagram is Hill as well. And I I don't know how much, you know, Yelp's a big one. You can always give me a five-star Yelp. Look us up there.
4: (laughs) Well, last question we always ask everyone. If you're throwing a party and we're invited, what are we drinking?
5: Well, well, if it's a party, i got to make my burning apron. It's uh, it's a great drink. I love my drink. I learned it from a man that used to work at the Flying Fish, I think, back in the grunge days. Back in, like, I was, like, 95 or something, I was coming down here. 94, 95. There was a guy named Angel from New York who showed me how to make this drink. And who thought I'd ever be a bartender, but... Um, yeah, from watching him, I just remember that I had to make that, and it was with my signature drink. So I'd say the Burning Apron, if you're going to have a party, it's, it's, a, it's a great drink. It's got 151 in it to light on fire. Well,
4: and then, that'll get
5: started. <laughs> then I, I, I temper it down with some, uh, let's see, I put uh, vodka in it, amaretto, a little frangelico, and uh, a little bit of Bailey's with nice. some coffee. Yeah, that's it. And then after that, yeah, the, I'd say all the pietinis, man. The pietinis are a party, too. I make key lime. Let's see. What's the other ones? A blackberry pietini? A strawberry pietini? Yeah, there's options. But the pietinis are, are, are the best. They're the they're the big hit there.
4: Especially with summer coming up, key lime pietini sounds amazing.
5: Yeah, true. <laughs> oh, please, summer, come up. Please, summer. We're almost I feel there. it today.
4: I know. Yay. <laughs> It's going to be a good weekend. Oh, good. Well, thanks for stopping in, Patrick. Thanks so much for telling us more about Pie Bar.
5: Thanks for inviting us. And don't forget to stop by.
4: Next up on Cast Club Radio, you may know more of the owners of your favorite alcohol brands than you think. Celebrities are getting more and more involved in this world. We talk about that next.
2: Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Before we get out of here today, we've got to discuss one major trend. A lot of stars seem to be getting in on the spirits train, whether it is just putting their face to something or actually getting involved in the business side of things. What do you guys think about this trend of celebrity-owned spirits? Does it make you want to buy a product more?
3: It depends on the level of interaction and involvement the celebrity has. Mm-hmm. So let's take two ends of the spectrum. Channing Tatum. <laughs> Did you know he has his own branded vodka?
2: I didn't before today. No. no.
3: <laughs> yeah, and it's called Born and Bred Vodka. So if you were to see this bottle of vodka on the shelf or at the bar, it has no association with Channing Tatum. And what I mean by that is you don't see his face on it. You don't see his name on it. The average consumer who may be looking for something, if they are drawn to Channing Tatum, they would really have no idea if these products are tied together. And I've seen nothing in the marketplace. (laughs) Totally, that's the that's the whole point. Is if you're going to associate with it, use your celebrity and brand status to actually push that outward. Take Casamigos Tequila. On the other hand, that's the George Clooney Mm -hmm. tequila, and uh, he's all over the place. He's obviously very known uh, around the world as a celebrity star. When they launched their Casamigos Tequila, where would you think? you would launch a tequila. If you're brand new into the market and you're going to launch tequila, where would you launch tequila to have the highest impact?
4: Mexico. Yeah.
3: Mexico. Okay. Well, no. <laughs> in a clever way, George Clooney launched his tequila in Venice, Italy. Wow. So Clooney has a big castle in, uh, in Italy, northern Italy, and he likes to spend time there. And so they delivered cases of Casamigo tequila into bars in Venice via gondolas. And they showed oh, them wow. pulling up the gondola and the canals, tying off, and then carrying these cases of uh, tequila in and had all the cameras and everything, which is kind of a cool stunt. And also afforded him a chance right off his trip to Italy.
2: Yeah. Uh, to <laughs> no business <laughs> expense. No big deal.
3: <laughs> they have since parlayed the branding of Casamigo Tequila into a major acquisition by Diageo. And they got purchased for a billion dollars. Wow. Late last year. That wow. brand. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, recently announced Adam Levine and Sammy Hagar have a new mezcal. It's a they call it Santo Mezquila. We're going to probably be seeing more and more about that. They're blending two liquors. One is tequila and one is mezcal, which is uh, a special kind of tequila that comes from the mezcal region of Mexico. So they very call it Yeah, right <laughs> yeah, yep, very hot. Drake has his Virginia Black whiskey, and uh, he announced a few months ago he's going to do an IPO. He's trying to raise thirty million dollars and wants to reach out to all of his fans to buy shares in his company so he can expand the reach and and delivery methodology and distribution of his Virginia black whiskey. But again, most of these people, with the exception of George Clooney, I've not seen them taken real advantage of their celebrity status to push forward uh, the success of their yeah. brand. And I've that's seen, where they're missing their opportunity.
4: I've seen an ad on TV with Drake for the Virginia Black Whiskey, but I just thought he was advertising it. I didn't realize he was an owner.
3: Well, so when you say you're an owner, they're really kind of an owner of the brand, or they are, on the other hand, maybe they purchased ownership interest in the company, the distillery, or the brand company that owns the brand. So for Drake, it sounds like this is his own kind of branded, owned company. Take someone like Ryan Reynolds. He yeah. It was announced last... Month just came in as a minority owner and shareholder in Aviation Gin.
2: I think we talked so now about that So he actually that, owns yeah. shares in that
3: company. Yep. George Clooney, up until they sold to Diageo, owned that company with uh, a few of the partners. It's unclear with uh, Adam Levine and Sammy Hagar whether they actually own their company or they're simply putting the brand forward and, be- and becoming brand ambassadors in exchange for profits and, and distribution share
2: was one of the first people to really do this uh p diddy because he got <laughs> in i felt like on Siroc really early on and to the point where i he definitely used his celebrity status to promote that because it was even turning up in music videos mm-hmm. and he got a lot of people to even put it into rap songs it was pretty impressive
3: oh yeah it was
2: so maybe the new the trend is beautiful yes exactly <laughs> maybe the new trend though is to just fly a little bit more under the radar with your promotion
3: yeah it's it's uh It's the challenge of everybody that has a product, a good, or a service is how do you get attention, how do you get in front of consumers, people that might want what you have to offer. You can make whiskey or you can be an architect. How do you get people in your target market to pay attention and how do you communicate your effectiveness or product quality to them to the point where they they buy it? In the case of spirits, the distribution network is very, very difficult and it's hard to get Uh, product out into distribution in an efficient way, unless you have some kind of edge. In the case of celebrities, they have their celebrity to use as Mm -hmm. currency.
2: It'll be interesting to see how many of these play out, whether it is really like a passion project for a lot of these celebrities, or if it is just something that they short term want to fix their name to and maybe make some money off of, but in the end, maybe not a lifelong (laughs) venture. (laughs) Because I feel like I've never heard of these being passions for certain people before. Like, I feel like I've never heard Justin Timberlake talk about tequila in any, and I've since uh, following him from my young days probably watched and heard a lot of Justin Timberlake interviews, but so it's just it'll be interesting to see if that's really something that he pursues.
3: When he was dancing for Disney... As he one has, of the musketeers? Yes. You didn't see him no. pushing tequila?
2: Thankfully, yeah. Just not hanging out with the fifth <laughs> on Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> Maybe
4: Britney. Yeah. No. <laughs>
3: For sure. For
2: Britney. She seems more like
3: a white wine gal, though.
2: Yeah, like a spritzer. Spritzer girl.
3: <laughs> well, the thing about all of these celebrity branded, in this case spirits, is uh, you don't see a lot of it in beer. You don't see a lot of it in wine. But there's something special about spirits right now. It's mm-hmm. The fastest growing segment. It's it's growing uh, far surpassing beer and wine growth. It is the hot place to be, and for the foreseeable future. But the thing about all these folks is they don't own the distillery. Okay, they're not actually making it themselves in most mm-hmm. cases. So the risk for them is pretty limited. They haven't put out a bunch of money for real estate equipment, personnel, and everything that goes into the infrastructure. They may have purchased a brand or Mm -hmm. a piece of a brand, but they don't have to worry about actually standing up the infrastructure. So if it doesn't go well for them later on, they just kind of walk away because it's just a brand. It's not the core business and buildings and people.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Yes. Assuming little risk, but high reward for them.
3: That's right. So we'll continue to see it grow. Um, There'll be others who want to get in on the action. And the issue is how do they convert celebrity into action on the part of consumers?
4: Absolutely. Well, if we left you craving sweets after all of that pie talk in the last segment, we do have a cocktail recipe that might help you out this week.
3: Cocktail of the week this week is what we call our Sunday morning cinnamon roll. So if you make cinnamon rolls for kids, it's time for adults to have their own. <laughs> this uses our BSB brown sugar bourbon with some vanilla soda. It's pretty easy. Get a glass, put some ice in it, pour two ounces of BSB brown sugar bourbon, and top it with vanilla soda, and there you go.
2: Wow. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Are you guys cinnamon roll people in your in your household? Is that something you'd like to make Sunday morning?
3: We do. My wife likes to make something that she calls monkey bread. Oh
2: yeah. And I, I feel like I heard about, about this. this. In the past. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So you get the frozen rolls, dinner rolls but they're frozen. And you would, uh, if you're making dinner rolls, you would normally pull them out, let them rise, and pop them in the oven. So she pulls them out while they're still frozen, puts them in a bunch pan, pours over pudding, and puts nuts and raisins on top, goes in the oven overnight. It thaws and rises. And then when you wake up in the morning, you turn the oven on, and in 30 minutes, you've got sticky buns.
4: Wow. Which she calls
3: monkey bread. Still we'll, in the family.
4: We'll be there on Sunday morning. Yeah. No, she doesn't <laughs>
2: mind, right? <laughs> so.
3: Oh. <laughs> uh. No, she doesn't mind. No. We'll, we'll make an extra pan.
2: No. But now there's an adult version for people who want to... An uh, adult
3: version. Yep. Sunday morning cinnamon roll.
2: Perfect. Well, as always, if you want to see this recipe, you can check it out at heritagedistilling.com. And you can also download any episode of Cast Club Radio that you want, catch up on old episodes at HeritageDistilling.com, or you can go to CairoRadio.com, click on the podcast tab, scroll down to Cast Club Radio.
3: You can also find us on Facebook at Cast Club Radio, and we ask you to go and rate us on iTunes.
2: Perfect. Well, thanks again for hanging out with us for the last hour. We'll see you next
3: week. And we wish Dane well on his honeymoon. (laughs) Uh, We hope to have great stories from Distiller Dane when he's back in a few weeks.
0: Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling, part of Cairo Weekends on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Check us
2: out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on
0: past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM.